I'd like to marinate on that a little bit on on why exactly we are that way and why it matters so much what has occurred to us most recently and how that holds more weight than our past and how easily we forget our past. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. That's Matthew 14, 25. It's one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. Um, The transfiguration, I think, would probably be my favorite. But uh, what an amazing sight this would have been to see. And we'll we'll talk about this as we get into our application. Uh, But thank you for joining us. This is Discipleship Conditioning. We release weekly every Wednesday, and we are trying to keep that going through the holidays despite the time off. Um, We may miss a week here or there, um, but we do our best to release every seven days. On Mondays, we release Biblical Anatomy, and Wednesdays, we release this show, Discipleship Conditioning. In the midst of these releases through forms of social media, and through our community, through our academy that we have online, we ask for your prayers. We are currently in the thick of things, building and deploying Biblical Anatomy Academy. Um, Our aim is to launch in January with a cohort of about 10 to 20 students. So we ask for your support and your prayers in that. Uh, We ask that God's will be done in that, which is the reason we're on this journey nothing more and nothing less. The moment he asks us to do something else with our lives, we will most certainly do so. Uh, But we feel called to build this academy to support those that are learning the biological sciences incorrectly. We also ask for your prayers, uh, not just for the academy, but what you need in your life and what God is doing in your life. And we're very vested in relationship and would like to form a relationship with you and communicate through whatever platform you desire, email or social media, uh, to let us know your inspiring God stories and to let us know how God is working in your life and to tell us how discipleship conditioning or biblical anatomy is helping you through that process. We appreciate your reviews and we appreciate your references to others. Uh, Today, we are going to focus on the book of Matthew, chapter 14. And as a reminder of our mission, we are dedicated to equipping Christian homeschool gap year and college students who seek to understand their biblical anatomy to connect science with scripture so we can better love the Lord our God, understanding his handiwork in our lives. I think it's really important as we look at chapter 14, which is full of miracles, the breaking of bread and the feeding thousands, uh, as well as what we opened with, with walking on water and think about the miracles that have occurred in our own lives. And for me, I have a unique approach as a professor of anatomy and physiology or not a unique approach, but I should say a unique story to tell. And I am so grateful that I get to see in every lecture I teach on anatomy and physiology how it is obvious 
that God is the designer. There's no way to explain our existence otherwise. There are too many things that scientists kind of throw their arms up like, well, we don't know, science isn't there yet. And you hear stuff like that all the time, that science isn't there yet. Without any credit given to God and what he designed thousands of years ago. To me, that is catastrophically wrong to take that approach. And through Biblical Anatomy Academy, we aim to change that and teach the biological sciences correctly. And it doesn't matter, I can give you some examples, but it doesn't matter how far back you go, there's always a question that exposes God's design, that shows us that we are created, whether it's in combat to the evolution theory or something that atheists may bring to the table, uh, whatever it may be. So let me give you a few examples with our anatomy in mind. Take erythrocytes, for instance. Erythrocytes are red blood cells that exist in our anatomy to carry oxygen and to carry carbon dioxide. They take oxygen from the lungs and they deliver them to the tissues that need them. And they take carbon dioxide from the tissues that create carbon dioxide. I shouldn't say create, but uh, yield it through metabolic processes and take them to the lungs to expel carbon dioxide. Now, specifically, it's the role of hemoglobin, a protein within erythrocytes that does that. What's interesting about an erythrocyte is it doesn't have a nucleus. It also doesn't have a mitochondria. Most other cells do. Sometimes even, well, often so, um, more than one, especially on the side of the mitochondria. Most cells have multiple mitochondria, many multiple, hundreds of thousands of mitochondria and nuclei not as extreme a situation but like a myocyte for instance has many many nuclei throughout it and if you look back to where an erythrocyte comes from that being bone marrow you see that before it's a mature erythrocyte it actually does have a nucleus and it does have mitochondria but it's programmed for both to be ejected from the cell as it becomes a mature erythrocyte and enters the blood system. There's one example of programming and following the instruction of DNA. Another example would be the miracle of childbirth. You may think that the mother is the one that initiates childbirth, but that's not the case. It's actually a hormone that the child secretes, that being oxytocin, to stimulate uterine contractions in the mother. So when you hear mothers say like, child ran out of the room, or uh, as we relate to in our case with our daughter arriving early last year, um, she was ready to announce her arrival to the world sort of thing. It really is the child who's dictating that. And one fact even cooler than that as it relates to the growth and development gestationally of the child it's actually a hormone released by the child that tells the mother not to void the pregnancy. I won't get into the details on days of menstrual cycle and those sorts of things, but it is a unique timing from ovulation and fertilization to when the next menstrual cycle should begin. All the while, implantation of the zygote the new child 
has yet to occur and will not occur for some time later or is in the process of occurring over the course of many, many days, which would then put the mother into the next menstrual cycle. So it's actually a hormone secreted by the child, by the zygote, by the embryo, by the child, known as HCG, which stands for Human Chorionic Gonadotropin Hormone. That is secreted and it tells the mother's system, do not start a new menstrual cycle. Specifically, what it does is it activates a structure in the ovary known as the corpus luteum to continue secreting progesterone, which we refer to as the pregnancy hormone. This doesn't allow the formation of what's called the corpus albiticans, which would be the next step just prior to the starting of a new menstrual cycle. I'm having fun geeking out here, so if you're not, bear with me. Um, all this to say, we could go over example, over example, over example on how our bodies are designed that point us directly to God. This doesn't come by accident. I can refer you to a number of really good books, both textbooks and both uh, accounts from scientists who are once atheists and are now Christians because the, the, the facts out there are just overwhelming pointing to a creator. And you and I as Christians know that creator to be God or Heavenly Father. So if you're interested, email me. I'll, I'll send you uh, links or titles or whatever it works best for you of the books that I would recommend that you look into if you'd like to travel deeper into this. Um, but we don't, we don't come from a bowl of primordial soup. Molecules just don't bash together as much as laboratories want to try and make that happen and create a human out of it. Um, you hear a lot of times survival of the fittest and you hear a lot of times those sorts of things and I can't recall who state, stated it. Uh, it may have actually been Darwin himself but there was something stated years and years ago that survival of the fittest can explain or evolution can can help explain survival of the fittest and how we may adapt to certain scenarios, but it can explain the genesis of us. So we get lost in the minutia of these things that are taught in public schools regarding evolution and all the ways that it makes sense and those sorts of things. But if we go far enough back and we continue to ask the question, what before then, what before then, there is nothing within the evolutionary theory that can explain that adequately. You can go all the way back to the Big Bang Theory and say, well, what before then? And now laws within the evolutional theory are starting to contradict each other. And we're starting to say, well, something came from nothing, which defies physics as we know it. It actually takes more faith to be an atheist and believe that something came from nothing than it does to be a Christian and accept historical relevance of Jesus existing on earth and his resurrection and us coming from a divine design, God the Father. All of that is a miracle designed by God, not a happy accident. The story that I told you of the human chorionic gonadotropin hormone 
That's not a happy accident. That's by design. It's a miracle that God gives us the ability to do, to conduct, um, specifically for the woman, the female side. So I enjoy sharing things like that with you from my experience, because my experience and my knowledge from an academic perspective is not that of everyone's. And if you're not as well versed in anatomy and physiology or some of the other biological sciences, and you just assume you chalk it all up to science and assume that it all ties in with the evolution theory and that must be the truth, know that that's not the case. You may have thought at one point it was the Christians over here and the scientists over here, but you would be amazed at how many scientists are becoming Christians uh, because of the mounting evidence for God that exists. It's really an exciting time to be alive and to see that happen. You don't hear about it, uh, perhaps strategically so, um, but it is the case. Let's begin our application with Matthew 14, verses 13 and 14. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So the part that I'll highlight is he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place. And this is just after finding out that John the Baptist had been beheaded. And so to me, this reminds me of exactly how valuable John the Baptist was to Jesus's ministry. In fact, it takes us back a few chapters to Matthew 11, 11, where Jesus says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, which is now where he occupies, having been killed, his earthly body being destroyed here on earth. In Matthew 14, 23 and 24, we read, And he had dismissed the crowds. He went and, excuse me, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was long way, was a long way, from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against him. The part that I'd like to point out is again, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Um, I don't know if Jesus would have considered John the Baptist his, his best friend. I don't, I don't know that. But clearly John the Baptist was special to Jesus and was incredibly important for his ministry. And so there are two accounts here. And maybe I'm making a stretch that they're both related to the death of John the Baptist. Maybe I'm not. Um, tell me what you think. But to me, as I read this, it appears that he goes to pray in isolation twice, perhaps mourning the death of John the Baptist. Email me and let me know what you think. And then in Matthew 14, 25, which is what we uh, opened with today, and in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And I like to point out walking on the sea. Can you imagine how amazing that would have been to see? And in so many instances, when we read in the Gospels here, we can think as Christians how we would have reacted. But honestly, are we being truthful to how we would have reacted? You know, it's easy to say that the doubt as we read through the text is amazing. And I wouldn't have done that. I think that 
I probably would have been in the same situation. And, and if I dive deeper into the Greek on this, uh, maybe this translation, the English Standard Version, as I often use, pretty much exclusively use, doesn't convey exactly what was meant here. And, and we're left to assume that there was an extreme level of doubt here as the disciples see Jesus walking on water. You know, I think earlier in the text and a little bit later, it mentions instances where Jesus fed thousands in relation to having a small amount of bread and fish and blessing them. And uh, some may have that stand out to them as the most impactful part of this specific chapter. Uh, But for me, walking on the sea, um, to me, I think that's one of the coolest and most profound verses or set of verses uh, in all of the Bible. And as I mentioned in the very beginning, I think that the transfiguration for me is a personal favorite, but what a sight that would have been to see. Directly after that in Matthew 14, 28 through 33, and Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink out. And beginning to sink out, he cried, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The first part there, it states, Lord, if it is you. I'm thinking to myself as I read this, and again, I have the perspective of thousands of years later, 2,000 years later, reading this as opposed to being there in the moment. But uh, if, if you see somebody walking on the sea and it's not Jesus, I think we have bigger issues here. I think we have a bigger problem at hand here. Uh, it, it seems unfathomable to me to see Jesus walking on the water and think anything other than how magnificent that is, how magnificent we're seeing Jesus walk on water to us. But again, I, I, I can't put myself in that position and clearly articulate how I would have truly reacted had I been there. So I must remain humble to the doubt, not getting caught up in how different I would have reacted in that instance. But at the end, they say, truly, you are the son of God. And I believe that with all of my heart. And I'm amazed by all these accounts in the gospel. I'm so thankful and lucky that I live in a time where this is readily available to me. We do live in a world where people aren't allowed to have Bibles, and yet I have a stack of them. Um, I, I, I truly am thankful for the ability to have that and the ability to record a podcast like this to communicate with my brothers and sisters. But at the same time, when I read it, I think as, as humans, how often do we need proof? But I think back to, I believe it's in Luke, and I think I referenced it last week or the week prior, about how um, there's pleading to Abraham to tell uh, the people that are still on earth about what truly exists. And as humans, you know, it, it states there later that if the writings of Moses and the laws of Moses are not enough, coming to them in spirit form isn't going to be enough. And I think about myself as a sinful individual too. Even as, as I think back on miracles that have happened in my life, 
There have been a number of miracles in my life, but sometimes if it didn't happen yesterday, how hard is it for me to remember that miracle? Sort of that, what have you done for me lately mindset. We're so occupied and focused in the present present and what has happened recently. And here in the instance of God, it almost seems like you need to be reminded that Jesus is God. And then you're going to forget it a week later. It, It just, it's baffling to me. We as humans are baffling to me. Um, even me being one. Um, I'd like to marinate on that a little bit on, on why exactly we are that way and why it matters so much what has occurred to us most recently and how that holds more weight than our past and how easily we forget our past. Love to hear from you on that and what your thoughts on that are. So as we conclude here with Matthew 14... I'd like to remind everyone that we are self-sponsored. Uh, we do that so that you're not interrupted with commercials during these shows. We do take a time here at this part of the episode to remind everyone of that and remind uh, of our website. I've actually been working a lot on the website recently. Uh, today and yesterday, I worked a lot on um, getting a new version of the website up and working with DNS records and all that website technical jargon stuff. Um, I believe where our site will land, although our domains will, will all be directed to the right place, I believe the landing spot of our website will be biblicalanatomyacademy.com. And then we'll have a number of subdomains that will link to the various places. If you type in biblicalanatomy.com, it'll redirect you. If you type in an old website, erratphysiology.com, it'll redirect you. Um, Even if you type in our podcast, discipleshipconditioning.com, that'll redirect you to the right spot. We want everyone in the location of biblicalanatomyacademy.com, and our focus is just that, our academy. These two podcasts are supplementative of the academy. Again, we're starting in January. That is our primary focus. If you know anyone that is in an anatomy and physiology class that needs supplement to that or needs to hear it taught the correct way, we would love to invite them into our cohort. We're looking for about 10 to 20 students, and that is the best way you can help us right now is with that word of mouth, however that may be. Secondary to that, reviews, ratings, And referrals of the podcast are another tremendous way that you can help us out, both for our Monday show, Biblical Anatomy, and our Wednesday show, Discipleship Conditioning. Our take-home message today is what miracles have you observed in your life? We talked about how your life is a miracle to begin with. You actually secreted human chorionic gonadotropin hormone to notify your mother that you were there so your mother wouldn't start the next menstrual cycle and have you no longer exist. You secreted a hormone oxytocin to notify your mother that it was time for your arrival into this world in the, in the birthing canal sense. Now, you know I feel very strongly that uh, when we use terms like fetus and embryo and zygote, we're referring to a living human being. So I caution to say arrival to the world because you've already arrived 
in the world, but you've been kept and nurtured by your mother's womb. So our lives, the fact that we're here speaking are a miracle. But what other miracles have you experienced in your life? Please share them. And as we always do, let's please conclude with the Lord's Prayer. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Amen.